Welcome to week six of our Bible study on the book of Job. This week, we will be studying Job 3, verse 1 to 26. Afterward, Job opened his mouth and cursed the day of his birth. And Job said, May the day on which I was born perish, as well as the night which said a boy is conceived. May that day be darkness. May God above not care for it, nor light shine on it. May darkness and black gloom claim it. May a cloud settle on it. May the blackness of the day terrify it. As for that night, may darkness seize it. May it not rejoice among the days of the year. May it not come into the number of the months. Behold, may that night be barren. May no joyful shout enter it. May those curse it who curse the day, who are prepared to disturb Leviathan. May the stars of its twilight be darkened. May it wait for light, but have none. And may it not see the breaking dawn because it did not shut the opening of my mother's womb or hide trouble from my eyes. Why did I not die at birth, come out of the womb and pass away? Why were the knees there in front of me and why the breasts that I would nurse? For now I would have lain down and been quiet. I would have slept then, I would have been at rest with kings and counselors of the earth who rebuilt ruins for themselves or with rulers who had gold, who were filling their houses with silver, or like a miscarriage which is hidden, I would not exist as infants that never saw light. There the wicked cease from raging. There the weary are at rest. The prisoners are at ease together. They do not hear the voice of the taskmaster. The small and the great are there, and the slave is free from his master. Why is light given to one burdened with grief, and life to the bitter of soul? who long for death and there is none, and dig for it more than for hidden treasures, who are filled with jubilation and rejoice when they find the grave. Why is light given to a man whose way is hidden and whom God has shut off? For my groaning comes at the sight of my food and my cries pour out like water. For what I fear comes upon me and what I dread encounters me. I am not at ease, nor am I quiet, and I am not at rest, but turmoil comes. This entire chapter is one of lament. It is the heart-wrenching cry of a man who is riddled with grief, who does not understand why disaster has befallen him. It is the cry of a man who knows he has been faithful to God and has kept his way blameless because he feared him, yet calamity has still befallen him. Job's present circumstances do not make sense to him, so he's having a very human, imperfect moment and cursing the day he was born, wishing that he had never been conceived. Job's worst fears have happened. His future, his children are gone. His security is gone. His health is gone. There is nothing left to lose except his wife and his life. Where he currently sits, his life does not seem to be worth living. He is in a state of severe depression. He believes God has forsaken him. He can't see him or hear him. He has no desire to see the light of a new day or take nourishment. He longs for death. He has lost his will to live. He begins to question the sovereignty of God by cursing his conception and birth. 
His trial is causing him to question the nature and character of God. This is how we know that Job is under a spiritual attack, where Satan is messing with his perception. Satan cannot change the word of God because God and his word are one, and God does not change. Therefore, Satan cannot change God. But he can attack our minds, our perception. He can try to warp how we see God's truth and present it to us via the lens of our fallen nature and the suffering and trials that come because of it. Grief is not a peaceful thing. It permanently changes you. When coupled with extreme spiritual and physical attacks, where spirit, mind, and body are Satan's targets, grief is absolute torment. In Job's case, it is not just the enemy coming in like a flood. It is also him creating noise and distraction, whipping up a storm that is so great in our minds that it would fell the most spiritual of men. Satan doesn't just take Job's children and things. He shatters his identity and the very foundations of his being. Pair that with being unable to sense God or hear him. It is a place of true loneliness and feeling completely lost, wondering who you are and whether the God in whom you placed your whole trust, including large parts of your identity, has truly forsaken you. It is a place of complete desolation. When Job lost his children, he lost his identity as a father and he lost being their spiritual covering. He lost his role as the priest in his home. When he lost his possessions, he lost his identity as a provider, as master, and, la and very large parts of being a man. Large parts of his manhood were en encompassed in being able to provide and his identity as an upstanding member of his community. A large part of who he was was wrapped up in that. The things that made him great in the eyes of man, the sources of his pride were gone. Why do I say pride? Because every time God spoke about Job in Job 1 and 2, he said he was blameless, upright, fearing God and turning from evil. But God never called him sinless or humble. Job was humbled to such a great degree that his wife was providing for him. This was a shameful thing in those days for a woman who was not a widow to be the provider. This loss and humbling process, this complete breaking for refinement, causes him to curse his existence and question his God. When you're the kind of person who cannot tell who you are without God and devastation coupled with spiritual attack encompasses you, there are times where you wonder if God really is real or if he was indeed a figment of your imagination. It is a very dark place to reside in because your foundation and all you hold to be true and dear has been completely shaken to its very core. There's very little left of who you used to be. But I know, based on scriptures we have studied in previous weeks about the hand of God and from personal experience, that it is God alone who is sustaining and upholding Job in this time, who has shut off his mind from even considering cursing him because the fear of God resides in him. And God himself is holding Job in the palm of his hand, being faithful to his word, ensuring Job does not fall.
This is an allowed breaking of a man so that he can be rebuilt for God's glory. Jeremiah 18 verse 1 to 6. The word that came to Jeremiah from the Lord saying, Arise and go down to the potter's house, and there I will announce my words to you. So I went down to the potter's house, and there he was making something on the wheel. But the vessel that he was making of clay was spoiled in the hand of the potter. So he remade it into another vessel as it pleased the potter to make. The word of the Lord came to me saying, Am I not able, house of Israel, to deal with you as this potter does, declares the Lord. Behold, like the clay in the potter's hand, so are you in my hand, house of Israel. Romans 9 verse 21. Has the potter no right over the clay to make out of the same lump one vessel for honorable use and another for dishonorable use? The testing that God allows teaches us to fear him, which keeps us from sinning. Exodus 20 verse 20. The breaking and making of us earthen vessels is for his honorable use. Proverbs 15 verse 16 says, Better is a little with the fear of the Lord than great treasure and turmoil with it. So what is the fear of God? Proverbs 8 verse 13 says, It is to hate evil, pride, arrogance, and the evil way, to hate the things God hates. Psalm 19 verse 9 says, The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The judgments of the Lord are true. They are righteous altogether. In this we can place our hope or trust that God is righteous, just, kind. Everything that his word says he is, we can do this because the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. Proverbs 9 verse 10. Every single one of us, this side of heaven, does not have a perfected faith. We constantly have to fight our doubtful minds due to our circumstances and what we think we know. Take up our shield of faith and walk through trials. We are working to build an ever-increasing faith. 2 Thessalonians 1 verse 3 As we work out our salvation with fear and trembling, Philippians 2 verse 12, our faith is only ever perfected when we see Jesus face to face and are no longer encumbered by the cares of this world. Just like every one of us, Job through his trials is being purified and having his faith increased and perfected. He is walking through a storm that is stripping everything that is not of God from him, bringing refinement and purification. Also, God alone will be glorified. If these things had not happened to Job, we would not have these lessons, this insight into the nature and character of God, or the faith that comes from hearing the word of God that has come out of this man's experiences. With everything that God allowed to happen to Job, he wasn't just looking at what was good for Job. He was looking at what was good for every single person that would come after him, that would learn what Job learned and hold firmer to Job's God, so that he alone would be glorified in all things. God's good does not look like our short-sighted version of good. His good encompasses all, that none perish, but all come to repentance. It is never about just one person's version of good or one person's experience of good. God's good is a fearful good with eternal ramifications. In this next section, I'm going to talk about the name of God, who he says he is, not the names people called him. And pull a little from some of the things Job mentions in his lament to tie it to who God is. 
Psalm 23 verse 3 to 5 says, He restores my inner person. He guides me in right paths for the sake of his own name. Even if I pass through the death dark ravines, I will fear no disaster for you are with me. Your rod and staff reassure me. You prepare a table for me even as my enemies watch. You anoint my head with oil from an overflowing cup. Scholars believe that David wrote this psalm when he was king of Israel, reflecting on his past. People say hindsight is twenty twenty, and perhaps this is one of the reasons why this psalm is so meditative and powerful, since David is able to see the hand of God upon his life now that the storm has passed and his vision has cleared. In Psalm 23 verse 3, David says that God guides him in the right paths. Proverbs 16 verse 9 says, The heart of man plans his way, but the Lord establishes his steps. David continues with this thought in Psalm 23 by saying that the reason that God guides our path is for his own name. God is faithful to himself first to keep his word. He is exactly who he says he is. And because of that, we can rely on the fact that he is 100% faithful to uphold his word and remain true to his nature and character. Because of his faithfulness to himself first, we reap the benefits of this attribute, knowing he is 100% reliable and trustworthy. When David says God prepares a table for him as his enemies watch, this is 100% true. No matter how fiercely the battle around us rages, when I put up my shield of faith, which involves putting on Christ and resting in his victory, I take my eyes off of the battle that is around me and I look only at God. I rest in his name, knowing that it's not I who lives, but Christ who lives in me. God's name is a strong tower that I run to and by which I am saved. Proverbs 18 verse 10. The following scriptures paint a picture that define God's name and in turn show why he guides us on the right paths. For his name's sake. Exodus 6 verse 3, I appeared to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob as God Almighty, the Omnipotent One. But by my name, the Lord, I did not make myself known to them. This means God appeared to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob as El Shaddai, God Almighty, not as Adonai, Lord and Master, the Sovereign One. This he did when he called the nation of Israel out of Egypt and set himself up as their king whom they later rejected, choosing instead to be like all other nations and to have a human king. The nation of Israel chose the common or profane over the holy. Exodus 3 verse 13 to 15. Then Moses said to God, Behold, I am going to the sons of Israel, and I will say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me to you. Now they may say to me, What is his name? What shall I say to them? And God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, This is what you shall say to the sons of Israel. I am has sent me to you. God furthermore said to Moses, This is what you shall say to the sons of Israel. The Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever, and this is the name for all generations to use to call upon me. Those words, I am who I am, are translated in the complete Jewish Bible as Eir Asher Eir. It means I am what I am, but it also means I will be what I will be. That is incredible because it encompasses present, past, and future. God is not constrained by time. He is everything that was, everything that is, and everything that will ever be. 
Everything we need will always be found in Him. When He says He is I am, that is exactly who He is. Revelation 1 verse 8, I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. The Lord in Exodus 13 verse 15 is translated as Yadhevavheh, which translated is Adonai. Adonai means master and conveys the idea of rulership or dominion. It is about God's sovereignty or his rulership as our sovereign. Exodus 34 verse 14. For you shall worship no other God, for the Lord, whose name is Jealous, is a jealous God. Now think about that in terms of fearing God and serving only him. Psalm 4 verse 3 says that the Lord has set apart the godly for himself. 2 Corinthians 6 verse 17, Therefore, come out from among unbelievers and separate yourselves from them, says the Lord. Don't touch their filthy things, and I will welcome you. 2 Corinthians 7 verse 1, Since we have these promises, beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from every defilement of body and spirit, bringing holiness to completion in the fear of God. Isaiah 42 verse 8, I am Adonai, that is my name. I yield my glory to no one else, nor my praise to any idol. Keep this in mind when I go through Satan's goals later on. Isaiah 52 verse 6, Therefore, my people will know my name. Therefore, on that day, they will know that I, the one speaking, here I am. This scripture says that God's people know his name, but also know his voice. Psalm 20 verse 7, some trust in chariots and some in horses, but we trust in the name of the Lord our God. Deuteronomy 5 verse 11, you shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. So the name of God is holy something to be revered and respected, not to be taken lightly. It is something to be feared. Leviticus 18 verse 21. You shall not give any of your children to offer them to Molech, and so profane the name of your God. I am the Lord. Molech was a Canaanite god to whom child sacrifices were offered via fire. This links to the ancient Celtic festival of Semain, from which we get our modern-day Halloween. Consider this verse carefully next time you offer your children up to Molech so they can experience the fun of Halloween, trick-or-treating, or the church's version of Halloween called trunk-or-treat. Think about offering up your children to Molech every time you mix the holy and the common. When searching for synonyms for Molech, I was able to trace his name as being related to Marduk, who was a Babylonian god also known as Baal Merodach, also known as the Egyptian sun god Amun-Ra, whose birthday happens to fall on December 25th. Jesus' birthday is not on December 25th. Amun-Ra is the Canaanite god Baal. If you keep searching through these names and their synonyms, you find Baal is also known as Beelzebub, who is the prince of darkness, fallen angel, or evil one. Leviathan in Job 3 verse 8 is a sea serpent who, in ancient mythology, was supposedly defeated by Baal. 
In Greek mythology, Leviathan is the lord of envy who guards the entrance to Poseidon's kingdom. Yam is the Canaanite counterpart of Poseidon, who is also known in Roman mythology as the god Neptune. When you read through all the mythology from every culture, you will find a counterpart or almost exact replica to I am or Adonai emerging from these stories. You will find a counterfeit Jesus that emerges and every single time he can be traced right back to Baal or Beelzebub. Isaiah 27 verse 1 says, In that day the Lord will punish with his sword, his fierce, great and powerful sword, Leviathan, the gliding serpent, Leviathan, the coiling serpent, he will slay the monster of the sea. From this we can surmise that Baal did not defeat Leviathan, but reinvented himself as a conqueror in myths and legends in order to take God's glory and to fulfill his goals as laid out in Isaiah 14, verse 12 to 14. How you have fallen from heaven, you star of the morning, son of the dawn. You have been cut down to the earth, you who defeated the nations. But you said in your heart, these are Satan's goals laid out in scripture, so pay careful attention. I will ascend to heaven. I will raise my throne above the stars of God, and I will sit on the mount of assembly. In the recesses of the north, I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will make myself like the most high. Satan's goals are to rule above the stars of God. The angels of the churches in Revelation are the stars that Jesus holds in his hand. Satan's goal is to sit and rule where God rules. Somehow ascend back into heaven from where he was cast down and to be an exact counterfeit of Adonai to receive his glory. Once you understand this, discernment becomes absolutely paramount in the Christian walk. Adonai constantly made a point of distinguishing himself from other gods. Remember, Satan is the deceiver of the brethren and an expert on who God is. So it is not difficult for him to deceive us with false gods with similar sounding stories and feats. He knows more about God than we will ever know and has spent years creating his counterfeit kingdom. He is much older than you and I and has existed far longer than any of us are able to exist. That is why it is important for the Holy Spirit to be our teacher, John 14 verse 26. 2 Timothy 2 verse 15 says, Do all you can to present yourself to God as someone worthy of his approval, as a worker with no need to be ashamed because he deals straightforwardly with the word of the truth. Satan disguises himself as an angel of light, 2 Corinthians 11 verse 14, but he is actually a lion looking for someone to devour, 1 Peter 5 verse 8, and that someone happens to be anybody who is a follower of Christ and who is called by his name. Satan has had thousands of years to create illusions, and that is exactly why these stories are known as myths. Jesus himself warned us about many false Christs and false prophets arising, providing great signs and wonders, so convincing in fact that if it were possible, they could even deceive the elect. Mark 13 verse 21 to 22. But God is faithful to keep his own from falling. John 6 verse 39. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I shall lose none of all those he has given me, but raise them up at the last day. The name of God is holy, 
and we are not to profane it. Another word for profane in scripture is common. We are not to make the name of God common. It is to remain holy, separate from all else, highly revered and exalted. Leviticus 22 verse 32, And you shall not profane my holy name, that I may be sanctified among the people of Israel. I am the Lord who sanctifies you. This means that the name of God is a fearful thing that sanctifies us. It saves us. It purifies us. How? Romans 10 verse 12 to 13. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. For the same Lord is Lord of all, abounding riches for all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Acts 4 verse 12. And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. The name of God is not to be taken for granted or spoken of flippantly. It is a hallowed, reverent, holy name which contains more power than our minds can possibly conceive. It is not to be confused with other gods or false Christs. Matthew 18 verse 20, for where two or three are gathered in my name, there am I among them. This is a powerful promise. So when we gather, we had better know exactly whose name we are calling upon and, and ensure that that name matches 100% to who God says he is and is not one of Satan's counterfeits that he has raised up in the deceived, undiscerning church who has learned to incorporate the common with the holy instead of keeping it separate because God is fearfully holy. When we call on the name of Adonai, the real God of the Bible, and truly understand the matchless power of his name, then the following scriptures begin to make sense. As we align ourselves correctly to God via his word alone, we begin to grasp the true power contained in his name that he has given to us, not only because he has adopted us as his children, Ephesians 1 verse 5, but also because we, the church, are his bride, Ephesians 5 verse 27, and he has given us his name. Isaiah 43 verse 5 to 7, don't be afraid for I am with you. I will bring your descendants from the east and I will gather you from the west. I will say to the north, give them up and to the south, don't hold them back. Bring my sons from far away and my daughters from the ends of the earth. Everyone who bears my name, whom I created for my glory, I formed him. Yes, I made him. Isaiah 54 verse 5. For your maker is your husband. The Lord of hosts is his name. And the Holy One of Israel is your redeemer. The God of the whole earth he is called. Jesus is a common name. But when we understand who Jesus, the Son of God is, and align ourselves to the real Jesus, Adonai, I am the real God of the Bible, who only the Holy Spirit can reveal to us, then Philippians 2 verse 10 to 11 makes absolute sense. So that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and on under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father.
Satan knows exactly who Jesus is and at his name you had better believe he bows but if we are confessing the wrong Jesus Satan is not going to bow because he knows the power behind that name the fear of God is present wherever he is and he is his name so it is no wonder that salvation comes by his name and it causes every knee to bow and every tongue to confess his lordship whether they want to or not even satan cannot deny the power of jesus's name he cannot withstand the power of god's name and he cannot counterfeit the salvation that comes from it he has to bow to it it is indeed a strong tower that we can run and hide in as we continue to study Job, we will see how all the scriptures we have studied about the name of God becomes true for Job. Psalm 9 verse 10, And those who know your name put their trust in you, for you, O Lord, have not forsaken those who seek you. I hope you join me next week as we continue with the study of Job.